Today's reading is from John chapter 12, on page 1079 in the Bibles. John chapter 12, reading verses 12 through 33. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and set upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given them this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from beside him in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, because for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there had heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord.
Lord, I, I pray as we uh, listen to your word today that you will reveal truths to us that maybe we uh, haven't seen before, haven't known before about um, kind of your character towards us and uh, who you are. In your name. Amen. So if you have a Bible open or your app, whatever it is, uh, just keep that John 12, verse 12 to 36 uh, in view. And we'll have a little look through that. So, today if we, if we look around the world, many countries like Syria, Iraq, North Korea are facing crisis in terms of uh, government. Then there are countries that are conflicted about the directions that they should go, or the leaders that they should have leading them. And we've obviously we've had Brexit, we've had Trump next month, uh, France goes to the polls to uh, uh, kind of vote for their, for their new president. In September, Germany chooses their chancellor, and the world will be watching to see what kind of decisions, what kind of direction they, they, they want their governments to go. And then there's uh, the Scottish referendum, and again, whenever that might happen. Winston Churchill once said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from one time to another. Not much has changed, however, since the time of Jesus. Then, as now, there were different attitudes towards government. Now, the Pharisees, in our passage today, in verse 19, they come up and uh, took the view that the Roman occupation, oppressive though it might be, um, needs to be endured until God uh, removed it. The Sadducees, they favoured corporate cooperation with the government. And then the Zealots uh, were the most popular with the people. They wanted a violent revolt led by a Masonic uh, Messianic king. There is a certain ambivalence about human government in the Bible, though. Now, there are parts where human government is affirmed by God uh, as something that's God-given. In Romans 13, it talks about that. And then there's, uh, and then there's others where there's a picture of it being under demonic control, for instance, in Revelation 13. And together, these, these represent the reality of uh, human government. This government reflects the mix that is in us all, what is good, and true alongside what is sinful and flawed. So no matter what gets decided in the future elections, we know that all governments, they have their ups and downs. Our politicians are human beings with human weaknesses and, uh, um, and frailties just like our own. Yet, yet we have a hope in a new type of government. That's the kingship of Jesus. So let me just give you a, a little background of what's going on before we get to the chapter that we're looking at. Um, in chapter 11, if you take us back, we read how Jesus has raised um, his friend Lazarus from the dead. Now, obviously something like this has uh, caused quite a lot of a, a big stir, and uh, there's a lot of wonder and amazement of those who witnessed it and those who've heard about this, uh, this act. And many put their faith in Jesus and started following him as a consequence. However, not everyone was happy. The Pharisees were also told about what happened and started to worry about this man who was performing, performing many miraculous signs. They say in chapter 11, verse 48, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
And the Romans will come and take away both our place in our temple and our nation. See, the, the Pharisees are threatened by Jesus that they would ruin the good thing they think they've got going with the Romans. So they began to plot to kill Jesus. It says in chapter 11, verse 54, Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert where he stayed with his disciples. We fast forward a little bit and we come to our passage this morning. It is the time of the feast of the Passover and the great crowd came to Jerusalem, it says in verse 12. Now these were pilgrims from across the Mediterranean world, many of whom have witnessed or heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead or many other things that Jesus has been doing. And it was estimated by a first century Jewish historian that there would have been about two and a half million people uh, who gathered. Now this must have been some serious festival with a sense of excitement and expectation of what might happen. People were waiting for the Messiah. As it says in Isaiah 9-7, this Messiah would reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And they were looking for a human king in the line of David who would free them from their oppressors. <coughs> and as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is seen to be that king. Blessed is the king of Israel, verse 13. The crowd probably saw Jesus as a, a military king and were hoping for an immediate liberation from, from Roman rule. However, in the Old Testament, there was another stream of messianic um, um, expectation. This is seen as the suffering servant in Isaiah um, 40-55, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter, who would take the sins of the world on himself and die on behalf of the guilty in Isaiah 53. Nobody expected the Messianic king and the suffering servant to be the same person. Yet, in a breathtaking way, Jesus brought these two Messianic kind of themes together. <coughs> Jesus is both the king and also the suffering servant. And unlike any other human government, both then, now, and forever, Jesus revealed to the world a government it would never break its promises, fail its goals, be defeated by its enemies, or disappoint its people. And as one that we can all be part of, both now and also forever. So what type of king is Jesus? Well, firstly, in this passage, he's described as a humble king. The English actor, Robert Orley, who died about some years ago, um, he went to a grand memorial service in the St. Uh, Paul's Cathedral. But he arrived 15 minutes late, and just the choir began to sing the hallelujah verse of Handel's epic work, The Messiah. And as Morley walked to the cathedral, the congregation stood to sing uh, this chorus. And as Morley walked in, he, he went down the aisle and he raised his hand in the air and was waving in appreciation and was heard to murmur, thank you. Thank you, as, he, as his eyes were brimming with gratitude as he strode along. But not even the great Messiah, the one that the song was written about, made such an entrance. 
Jesus was the long-awaited king, but he was not the kind of king that people expected. He did not arrive in Jerusalem rejoicing in his fame, nor did he come with pomp and ceremony in a chariot or on a stallion to demand respect of the people through military force. He came a different type of leader. Verse 15. See, your king is coming. Yeah, he is a king. To be seated on a donkey's colt. He comes humbly, gently, sitting on a baby donkey. Jesus is the Messiah king that was prophesied in the Old Testament, but he's not a military one that was expected. In Zechariah 9.9, it says this. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and right on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus comes to fulfill this prophecy. And he does it in a way that deliberately demilitarizes their vision and declares the nature of his messianic rule. It's going to be a rule of peace, gentleness, universal tolerance. Nothing further from the zealot's view of the Messiah could be imagined. Sure, the kingdom of God comes, does come with power and authority, for it must reflect the righteous and just character of God, who is king over all. But as a gentle kingdom, Jesus upholds the rights of the vulnerable and the oppressed. He embraces little children and those that have no voice, the sick and the lonely, the poor and the broken, and he calls them and we are to imitate this king to learn to be humble in our lives now this doesn't mean becoming a doormat and never standing up for what is true because Jesus was anything but that for only in God's kingdom will we see true justice for all however it does require us to put aside our own agenda for our life and to live for something greater than us, which you know, I know for myself is pretty difficult. And though we live under the authority of worldly governance, we are all under a greater authority to be imitators of Jesus. This will require us not always doing what is expected, but more than often, more than often, it's doing uh, the, thing, the opposite to what people expect from us. To demonstrate the character of Christ, which will be marked by love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is in Galatians 5. At the, uh, in the passage we're looking at, verse 25, this is the message version, it says this, Anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you have it forever, real and eternal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone 
who serves him. And that's what we're called to do, to serve him. Jesus is the humble king. We need to follow him and serve him. The second thing I want to say is Jesus is the sacrificial king. He doesn't come by doing violence to the oppressors, but by having violence done to him. Um, Jesus says in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here he's talking about the cross. In verse 27, it says, Now my heart is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, John's Gospel doesn't have the account of Jesus' prayer of anguish and desperation in the Garden of Gethsemane that we see in the Synoptic Gospels, the other Gospels. But he, he doesn't need to, for it says it all here. And Jesus faced death with extreme kind of agitation. And we have seen, there are many true accounts of Christian men and women uh, throughout the, the, our history being killed for their faith. They're thrown to wild animals, cut to pieces, burned at the stake. And it appears that many of them have, have kind of faced their death more calmly than Jesus. And take uh, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, who were burned at the stake for their faith in, uh, in Oxford in 1555. They were tied side by side, and then when the fire was lit at their feet, Latimer said, Be of good faith, uh, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Why is it that many of Jesus' followers have died of seemingly a more courageous death? Well, Jesus was facing something beyond physical torment, even beyond physical death. Something so much worse that uh, other things like that were like flea bites in comparison. All his life, because of Jesus' eternal relationship with the Father and the Spirit, Whenever he turned to his father, the spirit flooded him with love. But now, he's beginning to taste what he will experience on the cross. When he turns to the father, all he can see before him is wrath, the abyss, the chasm, nothingness. You see, God is the source of all light, all love, all meaning. And the rejection from God means to be separated from the source of all light, all love, and all meaning. And when we die, God meets us as judge. And it's this moment which explains Jesus recoiling in horror in the face of it. In death, he must take our place so we can have life. He must die our death in order so we can be free from death forever. And Jesus began to experience a foretaste of that moment, and he staggered. Yeah, do I have to go do this? But he chose to go that path. He chose to do it. He wasn't forced to, he chose because of his love for us. He chose to deal with envy 
false accusations, unjust criticism, unfairness, misunderstanding, weak authorities, mockery, insults, public humiliation, crucifixion, and most of all, separation from his loving Father. Why? As it says in verse 31, so the prince of this world will be driven out. And we will be free to choose to know and love the Lord and be with him forever. He saved you and he saved me because he was not willing to save himself. That's an amazing part of the gospel message. And finally, the king I serve is the, he's a triumphant king. During the deepest, darkest days of apartheid, when government tried to shut down the opposition by cancelling a political rally, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu declared that he would hold a church service instead. And St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town, South Africa, was filled with worshippers. And outside the cathedral, there were hundreds of armed police just gathered to show uh, a force intended to intimidate. As Tutu was uh, preaching, they entered the cathedral, armed and lined the walls, and they took out their notebooks, writing down everything that he was saying. But Tutu would not be intimidated. He preached against the evils of apartheid, declaring it could not endure. At one extraordinary point, he turned to the police and spoke to them directly. You are powerful. You are very powerful. But you are not gods. And I serve a God who cannot be mocked. So since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. With that, the congregation erupted with dance and song, and the police didn't know what to do. You know, their attempts at intimidation had failed, overcome by the archbishop's confidence that the goodness, that God's goodness would triumph over evil. It was just a matter of time. One day, the Lord will return as the triumphant king to rule and reign for all eternity. And each of us are called to make a choice to be on the winning side. As it says in verse 26, put your trust in the light while you have it, so you may become sons and daughters of the Lord. Now there is a sense of urgency in this last appeal from Jesus that we would just be foolish to ignore. Jesus' last words are a warning. Now to refuse to come to him means being shut out from the light forever. Now such a, a warning is not that palatable in today's uh, church as it reminds us of days where sermons were often focused on hell and its pretty bleak conditions. And I'm not saying that these days are in the past because drawing people primarily because of fear of hell, I think kind of hellfire is not the gospel I read. However, judgment is a very real reality. And each of us is called to make a choice to either be in the light or to stay in the darkness. And we've just finished this week uh, the Alpha Course, and um, on Wednesday we were talking about how can I make the most of the rest of my life. And I was explaining how there is a cost 
to, to being in that light. That we will have to, to make a break from our past, to let go of the things that we, we might quite enjoy and to be able to step into the things of God. And though when we look at what Jesus has done for us and what he's prepared for us in heaven, then the things we're giving up in comparison are just rubbish. You know, we're not perfect when we come to know Jesus, and many of us know that to be true. But we start to change. We start to see life differently. We have, if you will, a new pair of glasses that just brings light, ones that help us see uh, heavenly and eternal perspective of things. Uh, Tim Keller writes in King's Cross's book, Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, maybe even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're going to have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful, so much more certain than that. Unlike anything else this world can offer, there is a certainty that has been proved by the resurrection of Jesus. Governments will fail. Friends will disappoint. Family will lead us or die. But Jesus brings us life in all its fullness both now and forever. If you know and love the Lord and have put your trust in his ways, then as it says in verse 35, this is the message version of it, then the light will be with you and shining through your lights. You will be children of the light. And I just encourage you this week to, to just be aware of that light as you go around in your work, uh, maybe study, or being with the kids, or whatever it is. Just, just be aware that we are people of the light. Let's be imitators of this humble king who sacrificed all so we could walk in the light. And if you never know this King Jesus, and you would just like, I would just like to meet him today. I want to meet this God that is, is uh, offering such an incredible gift. Now, I'm just going to say a prayer. And if that's something that you would like to, to kind of repeat uh, with me, you can just do that. And you, and you, I'm just going to have a little prayer. And if you just want to repeat these words, then feel free. And after that, we're going to have uh, our time of prayer. Lord, thank you that you, were, you went to the cross and that you chose not to save yourself in order to save me. Thank you that you have made a way for me to be with you forever. Lord, forgive me of my mistakes. I mean, it just brings my boast to the Lord now. And help me to live for you today in such a way that my life brings light to a dark world. Lord, I just ask that you fill me with your, your love.